Jesus said, but truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are living through very dark days as we witness the events in Ukraine with fear and foreboding and above all a sense of helplessness. It offers little comfort to recall that there have been other times of threat, notably during the Second World War, which many of us remember. Now as then we're faced with a challenge to faith. We have to remind ourselves that it's precisely when faith is challenged that we need to hang on. The psalmist wrote, My grief is this, that the right hand of the Most High has lost its strength. But he added, I remember the works of the Lord and call to mind the wonders of old times. I hope it'll help if we now move to today's Gospel, which talks to us of God's gift of light. We've just heard Luke's account of that strange happening in Jesus' life that we call the Transfiguration. But when did you last hear or ever say the word transfigure in everyday speech? Even for us who use religious language from time to time, it's pretty well limited to this particular incident may come as rather a surprise to know that only Mark and Matthew use the Greek word translated, transfigured, and from which our word metamorphosis is derived. Someone suggested that Luke preferred to say the appearance of his face changed in order to, confute, to avoid confusion to his Gentile readers with any of the crude mythological stories they were familiar with. But whichever word we use, it's a deeply mysterious and symbolic episode. For the first time, I became curious to know what these words were, which, 
after which Luke tells us this strange event occurred. He places it eight days after what had obviously been a significant conversation. Mark and Matthew speak of six days, but all three share the striking statement. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Matthew says, see the Son of Man coming with his kingdom. While Mark has, see the kingdom of God has come in power. Mark says that these puzzling words were spoken not just to his disciples, but to the crowds. Matthew and Luke, Jesus speaks only to the disciples. But we needn't analyze the different versions in detail to realize that this was an amazing, a momentous prediction. It must surely have left them wondering, what on earth could it possibly mean? Yet none of them is recorded as asking Jesus to explain himself. The three Gospels indicate a period of days, whether it's six or eight hardly matters, during which we can only suppose that they struggle to come to terms with this extraordinary statement, some of them won't die before the Lord comes. But as on other occasions, they seem to have been afraid to ask. If now this very special event was intended to help them to understand, we first notice that it was shared only with the three top disciples, Peter, James and John. These, you may remember, were also the ones to accompany Jesus into the house of Jairus to raise his daughter. They would also be the ones Jesus asked to stay close to him during his agonizing prayer to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus clearly regarded them as leaders who would eventually pass on their experience to others. But not yet. Luke reports that they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. What then had they seen? And how did it relate to the promise that some of Jesus' followers wouldn't die before he returned in power of his kingdom? What Luke tells us, first of all, that they saw, and certainly not for the first time, was Jesus praying. But this time it was different. The appearance of his face changed. But in what way? If, as we are told, his clothes became dazzling white, this must surely mean that he was bathed in light. That would fit in with Matthew's description that his face shone like the sun. And we can't read those words without thinking of Moses coming down from Mount Sinai carrying the tablets of the law, unaware that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. On this occasion, Jesus, the new Moses, has also been talking with God on the mountain. The connection is confirmed for the startled disciples when Jesus is joined not only by Moses but also Elijah. And these, then, looked forward to what the future held for Jesus, his departure, and what he would accomplish in Jerusalem. It's hardly surprising that the disciples are bewildered, and Peter, in particular, doesn't know what he's saying. And their confusion now turns to terror as a cloud comes down and overshadows them. Clouds in Scripture symbolize 
the presence of God. This in turn is reinforced by the voice of the Heavenly Father, echoing the one heard at Jesus' baptism, which had reassured him of the Father's love before sending him out on his mission to proclaim God's kingdom. But this time, the voice adds a command to the astonished hearers, listen to him. This is something that they and we must do now and always. This is the way of true enlightenment, which must have been the purpose of the Transfiguration experience. The theme is light. The light those chosen disciples see is the transfigured face of Jesus, the light which he promises to give on, keep on giving them as they stumble through the perplexities and dangers which lie ahead. John's Gospel offers us no account of the event we've been looking at, yet it's the place where we find the theme of light most strongly presented. It's there that we learn that in Jesus is life, and life is the light of all people, light which no darkness can ever overcome. And John reaffirms the belief that the first thing God created was light, and God saw that it was good. Jesus understood himself to be the bringer of God's light to a dark world, good news to a needy world. Again, we owe this insight to John, who records Jesus as saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The transfiguration in the other three Gospels should be seen as a sort of foretaste of that promise. This thought may help us to see that it was an event which still has something to teach us today. I've tried to make the receiving and sharing of the light of Christ figure in our worship today through the choice of hymns. We've already greeted the gospel with words, Christ the true, the only light. Son of righteousness, arise, visit then this soul of mine, pierce the gloom of sin and death. In the hymn during communion, we shall pray, where the gospel day sheds not its glorious ray, let there be light. In that hymn, there's a fourfold repetition of God's words in creation, let there be light. It should serve to remind us that God invites us to cooperate in the recreation of all people and things. But it's the hymn we shall be singing next which makes the point most memorably. Some of you may remember how a few years ago the author-composer Graham Kendrick visited us and together we raised the roof with this one, Lord the light of your love is shining. God is love, and that love is supremely displayed in Jesus, the light of the world. We can't hope to rival the volume we managed on that occasion, but I do invite you this morning to pay extra attention to the words. They could almost be thought to be a commentary on Jesus' transfiguration. See how many points of contact you can find. But for me, the most powerful passage is this. 
as we gaze on your kingly brightness, so our faces display your likeness. Ever changing from glory to glory, mirrored here, may our lives tell your story. Shine on me. Jesus' chosen friends were given a dazzling glimpse of his blazing face, blazing with light, blazing with love. This they had to keep to themselves for the time being, but not forever. When the right time came, they would share it throughout the world to enlighten God's children everywhere and in every age. Our faces are to display his likeness. Our lives are to tell his story. Here are words for us of encouragement and hope. But it's understandable if at this time we find it difficult to receive them. That calls for an act of faith. We sang earlier words by Charles Wesley. Can we now make them our prayer? Dark and cheerless is the morn unaccompanied by thee. Joyless is the day's return, till thy mercy's beams I see, till they inward light impart, glad my eyes and warm my heart. Fill me, radiancy divine, scatter all my unbelief. Now we pray that God's mercy beams may shine on our suffering sisters and brothers in UK to bring them strength and hope in their terrible ordeal. Amen.